0: I wanted to let you know that on Sunday, January 10th, I'm going to be starting a new course called Concepts in Kabbalah. It's gonna be on Zoom. It's gonna be a live course, a six-part series where I'm going to go through the basic concepts in Kabbalah. So an introduction to Kabbalah, God and the Ladder Up, Tsim the Sefirot, the Four World. It's gonna be highly interactive, and an opportunity for you to really delve into uh, the mystical elements of Kabbalah and really get an idea of the concepts and the words that are used in Kabbalistic literature. Uh, There's a small cost for it, and I really hope that you can attend and join me on this uh, incredible journey. It's going to be starting again Sunday night, January 10th, and it's going to go for six Sundays. You can uh, go on jewishndg.com to apply for it, or you can just look at the Eventbrite link in the show notes to this episode. And now on with today's class. Till now, what we've been looking at is the intellectual and what we're gonna call the emotional powers of the soul. We've been looking at how intellect gives birth to, right? We use that analogy of conception and birth, gives birth to the emotions and how properly, according to Kabbalah, the intellect guides the emotions. Today, we're gonna look at what I would say would be the next step. The next step are the soul's garments the tools through which the intellect and and the emotions find expression. So it's very nice for us to talk about the heart and the mind, but how how does this process happen? This whole process of the intellect guiding the emotions, it needs a set of tools. So today we're gonna talk about this set of tools. After we deepen our awareness and we begin to intellectually understand the attributes of the soul, now our emotions can be guided to feel more deeply. We're able to actually experience emotion. Instead of experience infatuation, instead of experiencing You know, the animal gone wild were actually experiencing emotions the way they were supposed to be experienced. Now we have to look at the expression of the soul. What we're going to call in Kabbalah the levushim, the garments. The garments of the soul, there are three garments of the soul which are thought, speech, and action. So just like... We have clothes and our clothes are not our essence. We can put on gym clothes when we go to the gym and we go put on formal clothes when we go to a formal event and we put on uh, casual clothes when we do something casual. So I'm not going to ever say that the clothing that I'm wearing is part of my essence. It's not my essence. It's an expression of who I am at this moment or who I want to be, or when I woke up in the morning, what I intended to do with my day, or when I went to the gym, what I intended to do in the gym. We adjust our clothes to our environment. We want our clothing to be in harmony with our environment. We're not gonna wear gym clothes to a formal event. We're not gonna wear uh, our casual clothes to a wedding and we're not gonna wear wedding clothes to the gym. (laughs) So we adapt our clothing according to our environment. Clothes worn to work are not gonna be the same as the clothes worn to a wedding. The clothes that we choose to wear are also an expression of the way we want to be viewed by others. You see, until now, we've been talking about the way we want to be viewed in our own mind, the way we want to be viewed to ourselves. Now we have to open the door to our interpersonal experiences and what we do in order to be viewed by others. So, for example, formal, fine tailored expensive clothing may be a status symbol expressing wealth. Expect expressing importance, expressing elegance. If we want to pair, if we want to pair that we are wealthy, we're going to have a certain kind of uh fashionable, uh, what do they call them? Uh, designer clothing. Casual clothing may be a way that we convey to the world that we're easygoing, that we're cool, that we're friendly, that we're down-to-earth, that we're approachable. So our clothes and the messages that they convey to the world are not necessarily compatible with our true inner character. It could be that I'm not a cool person, you know, But I'm showing that I'm cool because I'm, you know, I don't know. I want to impress somebody, so it's very common that the clothing we wear would be not only not compatible with with our true inner character, with what we're really truly feeling, but maybe will mask what we're truly feeling. So it's important to remember that our clothing can create an inauthenticity to who we really are. If we want to express our essence, if we want to express who we really are, we're probably not gonna use our clothing to do it. There are simple, let's say unrefined people who prefer to wear elegant and dignified clothing. And there are aristocratic, um, well-to-do people who prefer to dress casually. People used to marvel at the, at, the, at the fact that Steve Jobs used to wear t-shirts, right? That was, that was his symbol. And many of the Silicon Valley, yeah, turtlenecks, thank you. The, the, many of the Silicon Valley executives, instead of wearing suits, they wear turtlenecks and they wear just, you know, more casual clothing. Our choice of clothing is a channel for broadcasting messages. But remember, and this is where the key comes in, we're we're talking about key factors here. It's not our essence. It's only an outer garment. It's not part of who we really are. So let's now bring this into what we're talking about. We're talking about thought, speech, and action, and we're comparing them in our analogy to clothing. The words we choose to speak serve a similar role to our clothing. We get people's attention and we publicly express ourselves through the power of speech. And just like clothing, the words that we choose to say may not necessarily express who we truly are or what we really think. It's amazing. We could think one thing and say something else. Just think about that dichotomy for a second. Just let that land just for a moment. That we have the ability to think one thing and to say the opposite. So if our thought and speech were truly part of our essence, there'd be no way to do that. You cannot separate from your essence. You cannot have an essence that thinks one thing and says something else. It's not possible. That's not who you are. That's not authentically you. So that is why I think the analogy the Kabbalah gives of clothing is so perfect to what it really is. Just by mere fact that you have the ability to think one thing and say something else means that it is not part of our essence. It's separate from us. The only way for us to be able to do that is for it to be separate from us. Why? Because through that, we're not expressing who we really are. We're just expressing what we want others to see about ourselves. We're expressing what we want to publicize to those around us. And that's why our speech is also called, in Kabbalah, a garment. Now this is similar to our thoughts and deeds as well. These three garments of thought, speech, and action are the modalities, they are the mechanisms for how we communicate to the world. The garment of action connects us with the physical world. It connects us. We are able to do. It's not part of our essence. Action cannot be part of our essence. Again, we can say one thing and do the opposite. Or we can think one thing and do the opposite. So it can't be. It's just a mechanism with which we connect to this physical world. The garment of speech connects us with others who speak the same language. So as long as someone speaks the same language as we do, we are able to connect as we're connecting right now in this moment through the English language, through speech. The garment of thought, the garment of thought, what does it do? it enables us to communicate with ourselves. So it's what we call an inner dialogue. Yet it's also a garment. It's also separate from us. It's a little more connected to us because we can never stop thinking, but yet it's separate from us. And I think here's another unique Unique quality of Kabbalah that perhaps other schools of thought um, are lacking. And, and we'll talk about this as we go along because thought is interesting that we put this and categorize it in the, in the category of garment. Just think about it a moment. That we're, we're saying that it's not part of our essence. Even though we can never stop thinking that thought is not part of our essence. Let it land. Thought... Our thoughts are not part of who we are, they're just our inner dialogue. And that's why we can control it. And that's to a certain extent why we can't control it. That's why you dream... We can, or we, can <clears throat> we can, we can, you can replace a thought, you, you can argue a thought. You yeah, can you can, absolutely. So if it was part of who we are, we probably couldn't do it. That's right. Not to go into a conversation that I don't want to talk about today, but one of the things that Kabbalah says is that that's the difference between life and death. After life, we can't control our thoughts anymore. Actually, for the soul, it's really painful at first. Because all those things that you were trying to, for your whole life, X out and not think about, you have no choice but to think about them. And that's why that that transition period between life and death is a very painful period. Say it again. It's painful because... We cannot control our thoughts anymore. That's right. All those things that you were trying to get rid of your whole life, um, it's one of the forms of hell. You know, when we talk about hell in Judaism, that it's not eternal, but rather it's a cleansing process that lasts for no longer than a year. Even the worst person won't have, a, have more than a year of it. So that's part of the cleansing process. Actually, one of the first parts of the cleansing process is where you can't control thoughts anymore and you have to relive all of that stuff that you don't want to relive. And it's very painful. You can't do anything about it. You have to relive it. But it's a it's a part of the plan. anyway. I, I, that's for a different conversation when we talk about the afterlife. When can we have that conversation? <laughs> okay. I, I'm with Alexandra. Oh yeah, you want to have that conversation? Okay. Well, it have to be today, by the means. Yeah. Well, so on the list. put it. We'll put it on the list, and we'll talk about yeah. we'll talk about the afterlife at some point. Okay. Now, why garments? To stay on task here with the garments. Mm -hmm. The soul's attributes, the intellect and the emotions are united with the soul. The intellect and the emotions are one with our soul. They are connected. They are part of our essence. However, Thought, speech, and action are like garments. They can be taken off. They can be replaced. They can be changed. So we use that. We, we can't change our emotions. We can't change our intellect. I'm saying the essence, the nature, the the, the, the design of our emotions or intellect. We can, we can train ourselves to be different, but we need to use... In order to train ourselves, we have to use our garments. If you look, if you don't like the way that you react to something, let's say it's your nature to react a certain way. And you wanted to make the change, what would you use to make the change? You would either use your thought, your speech or your action. So these thoughts, speech and action become the modalities for change. This means that our actions are not truly who we are. And since it's possible to act in a way that is inconsistent with our personality, there's absolutely no way that we can say that they are who we are. They're not part of our essence. And the same goes for speech. You can say things that you don't mean. You can say things that don't, re- that don't represent you. The style of the speech, the way you act, they're all interchangeable, just like clothing. The way you speak at home in a familiar environment is going to be different from the way you speak in a less friendly environment. It's just the reality. And so therefore, because, and I'm not using this as a derogatory term, I'm using this as a matter-of-fact term, because the words that we say are manipulative to us and to others, there is no way that we can call them part of our essence because we will react differently, we will speak differently in different places. I think the great shocker, like I said before, the great shocker is that even our thoughts are not truly who we are. A person can live in a fantasy world and imagine things about themselves, imagine things about their life that are not true. How many relationships that I see that people get into where they're not really relationships? The other person, it's happened so often with singles, where the other person doesn't know they're in a relationship with that person. That person has a relationship with someone in their head. It's a fantasy relationship. Or they have a relationship with their list of the person they're looking for. So they have a, a desire or, or 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 a process through which they think this is the person I want. Well, that person only exists on paper. It doesn't exist in real life. So I say that, you know, maybe and and you know I used to joke about it, but now there's a term for it. It's called sologamy. Selagamy is the process of, of being in a relationship with yourself. There are people who are married to themselves and they're called sologonists. Now you know. <laughs> I used to joke about it, but it actually exists today. To the point where there was a, um, a story last year in Sweden of a, of a girl who asked a, a minister to marry her to herself. So, although our thoughts are far more consistent. They're far more aligned. They're far more united with our soul than, let's say, our speech and our action. Why? Because it's impossible for us to stop thinking. They are still not who we are deep down. They're not who we are. It's not our essence. And... Just allowing that to land, just allowing us to realize that our thoughts are not part of our essence, I think is such a liberating experience. Because we all have these thoughts that we don't want to have. It's okay. It's not you. That thought that you had, that you can't, that you're harboring, that you can't get rid of, that's making you crazy, just remember, it is not you. So where does it, Outside of you. It's not you. How do you get rid of it? <laughs> huh? How do you get rid of it? How do you get rid of it? That's a different story. But first, we're coming to the realization that the thought is not your essence. It's not really you. It's okay. You have, you're allowed to have a thought. You're allowed to have... Sometimes you look down and you see your clothes are ripped. So what do you do? You change them. Sometimes you look down and you see your thoughts are ripped. So change them. Don't let those thoughts take you over. Don't harbor them. Don't focus on them. Change them. Get into the habit of changing them.'t We have these, these inner dialogues with ourselves and it just goes over and over. I'm not good enough. Uh, These inner dialogues. That is ripped clothing. Nobody wants to wear ripped clothing. Stop thinking that about yourself. Those inner dialogues need to be changed. Fini, fini. So, since, sorry, it yes. can change, yes, I actually, you, you did, you explained that very well in your course on meditation, uh, what was the name of the class? Yes, when I had the course on, um, on Kabbalah mindfulness. Yeah, replace your thoughts. Yes. A bad thought comes, replace it. That's right. But, and, and, and it's okay, I've learned how to do that, it's, it's, I'm not sure it comes natural to most people. It doesn't come natural to anyone. Right. It doesn't come natural to anyone. This, these are learned traits. That's what we're doing here right now. We have to remember this is not... The reason why you're, you're, you're in this, this, this... Whatever you want to call it. This classroom. This class of life. Is because this is not natural to anyone. This is something that everybody at some point in their life needs to learn. And it's imperative. We must learn it. Because otherwise, we go mishugi. So okay, did you ever think of having a a Kabbalah class for adopted for children on on um, on? Um, I've done it before, absolutely. A, a curriculum for schools. Yeah, yeah. Or for I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I've definitely done these kinds. I, I especially for teenagers. It's it's yes. very very important for teenagers. that would have changed the course of many lives. I agree. But you know what? I know that we always want for our children what we never got, and, you know, we think about, oh, if I only had this years ago. But there's also a process of going through this yourself. Like, life is also a journey. And there's also a process of going through life yourself and going through these experiences. You can only appreciate what I'm saying here because of your life experience. Yeah, but imagine going with, through it with the tools. Yeah, because you will still have experience. Yeah, but 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 yes, a f- no, you're right. That you are right. We need to experience it and then discuss it. But 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 a 15 year old doesn't have the experience that you have. The the 15 year old doesn't have the experience you have. That doesn't have appreciation. They're going to be like, why are you talking to me about the fact that my thought is not part of me? What do I care? Because they don't have the 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 sensitivity that you have now with your experience in life. So experience is very powerful. Now, if you're still in a 15-year-old mindset when you're 45, then there's something wrong, which happens to some people, not to mention any names. (laughs) Yeah, don't we know. (laughs) (laughs) So, So that's the problem, which means if you become an adult and you never... If you never go to this process where you're like, okay, I don't like what's going on. I got to figure out another way, then that's your fault. But I do think that you need to experience it in your life. Otherwise, you'll never be able to truly appreciate this. This This is learning. This is education that comes first through experience and then through the knowledge and through the understanding. May I continue? You may certainly may. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's important. These are, I think that we have to let these things land. You know, like I don't want to go too fast through it because it takes time to process this. This is a new way of looking at the world. L- literally, we are analyzing thought. So you got to think. You have to stop and think sometimes. But then, once you stop and think, don't forget to start again. So now since we've been discussing the godly soul, that spiritual part of ourselves, let's explain what these garments, what do the garments of the godly soul look like? So before, in our last classes, we discussed that the soul's intellectual and emotional attributes that the mind, remember last week, the mind contemplates and gives rise to the heartfelt emotions of love and awe. That the mind creates the emotional experience and not the infatuation taking over the mind, not the emotional experience taking over the mind. And now we're adding an element to it, <clears throat> so we're looking at that love and awe that we spoke about last week. Because this is a this is like a hand and a glove and a glove and a glove and a glove, right? So we're we have to put we're putting our first glove on. Our hand is that we have an intellect, we have emotions. Our job is what we call moach shalit alalev, that the mind should hone the emotions. That through the process of thought of, of that the chachma, bina, da'at, through the process of that first spark of inspiration and then bina analyzing it, and then da'at, internalizing it, like the brainstem. I'm just going over what we know already. And then that giving rise to the emotions, specifically the emotions of love and awe. Now we added a glove. What's the glove? That the feelings are expressed through thought, speech, and action. So now that you went through the intellectual process and you have these feelings of love and awe, how do you express love and awe through thought, speech, and action? So let's, as Kabbalah is a methodology that's connected to God, let's use God as the example. The mind contemplates the greatness of God and then it gives rise to the heartfelt emotions of love and awe for God. So what would be step one here? Let's think about this a second. Step one would be meditating on God's greatness. So remember, Jewish meditation is not where we empty the mind, it's where we focus the mind. We're focusing the mind, we're using the Chachmah, the Binah, the Da'at, now we know this language, this shared language that we have. We're using the the, the, the process of intellectual thinking to meditate on these ideas. Here, we're talking about to meditate, whatever we're meditating on, obviously because it's Kabbalah, we're talking about meditating on God's greatness. Step two, as a result of that meditation, of that focus, We have a feeling of love and fear towards God. We we have aroused feelings within ourselves of love and awe. Step three, now that we arouse those feelings, what do you do with it? You let the feelings run wild? No, you're going to go Meshuggi. The feelings, now in step three, the feelings need to be expressed. You can't hold them in. And you can express them in three ways. Thought, which is your internal dialogue, your inner dialogue. Speech, which is your outer dialogue or action. So you have inner dialogue, you have outer dialogue, or you have action. There are three ways of expressing your emotions. I'm a little bit confused. So I don't really get the difference between the intellect thought so don't you have to have the thought to have that intellect it's very now no. so well don't you, don't, don't you have to speak it out in order to feel it I have to speak it out to feel it how do you feel things What's the experience that you have when you feel? You don't necessarily have to speak to feel. No, I'm giving an example. But, but what, is, what is that experience that you have when you feel? Vibration. Is it a vibration? Let's, let's, let's check, let's check our, our, our authentic selves. What is the experience of feeling? It's usually gonna be through thought, speech, or action. Something that fills you up. Yeah, it, it so what we're saying is, they're, they're hand in hand, they're, it's, it's, a, it's a glove on a hand. My example of the glove on the hand, where the glove, when you see the glove moving, you're going to say the glove is moving? No, it's the hand that's moving, but well, all you see is the glove. So you're right that the thought is the modality that the intellect uses to create the process but the intellect is the essence. It's much clearer, I think, in Hebrew because there's, there's more words in Hebrew for the thought process. And we use thought interchangeably in English. Like we have words like Chachma, Bina, and dat. Right? So what is Chachma again? Chachma is that first spark of inspiration. That's not thought. It's a spark of inspiration that comes from from, from beyond us, from above us. Bina is then the process of analyzing and thought. But it's a modality. We're just using our thought to analyze that spark of inspiration that came from beyond us. And then dot is that integration, how we make it part of us. But the point is, is that we're, we're, we're focusing on the essence here. We're focusing, fo- focusing on who we are. Every single living thing has an essence. Everything. Even the inanimate objects, even the table that's in front of you has an essence. It's an inanimate essence, but it's an essence. So we have an essence. The thought is the modality that we use, or one of the three modalities that we use to express and process the essence. Which modality is thought? It's the modality of inner dialogue. Am I clearer now? Alana, you, you can say no, and I'll explain it again. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm still unprocessing. You know, I think it's helpful that you said it's different in, in Hebrew, because, you know, in English, it's, I think, maybe more aligned. like, you know, we tend to think of our Thoughts and intellect and being on the same plane, you know. Right. Um the Inuits have forty words for snow, the French have forty words for love, Hebrew has forty words for intellect. Now you know about a culture. (laughs) Right? And we know in our tradition the intellect, the education, the knowledge is most important. We really focused on that. You know, people say, oh my gosh, you know, 30% of Nobel Prize winners are Jewish. You know, that's unbelievable. It's because it's our value system. We really focus on that. What would you do to your kids if they didn't get good grades? (laughs) If they didn't go to university? Because it's 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 a value system that we have in our society, it's, it's systemic in a good way. That it's just, I mean, in other societies, let's say in, in, in Quebec culture, they had to figure out this whole CJeP system in order to get them to go, you know, to higher education. Because it wasn't the value system, it was different kind of values. For whatever reason, I'm not judging it, I'm just saying it as a, as a matter of fact. In our system, we have a strong value, the value of education. There's no question about it. Whether you're religious or you're not religious, whether you're a believer or not believer, if a, a cultural Jewish phenomenon is the value of education. And, and, and this is some of maybe the background behind it. Maybe now we're trying to understand it. And yeah, we, in, in, English is falling short for us. And it's going to, it's not the first time, and not the last time in our studies of this material that the English language is going to fall short of it. Because language is often a representation of the value because speech is a garment. If you look in your closet, your closet does not always have every garment for every occasion. Sometimes you have to go out and buy more garments. For, 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 for other occasions, because you don't always have everything. You have a lot, but not everything. So language is a garment. So, you, you, so language that we use may have a lot of garments, but definitely not everything. <clears throat> so sometimes we're going to have to go out and buy new language garments, so to speak, in order to understand an idea that we didn't understand before. <clears throat> are, we, are we better... Yeah, that's very helpful. Yeah. So, let's go back to the intellect. Because the intellect is primarily expressed through thought and speech, study, education, Kabbalah is referring primarily to Torah study, Torah study is accomplished via mainly thought and speech because that is the modality of the intellect. Emotions are primarily expressed in action. Emotions are primarily expressed in our actions. That is the modality. That is how we express our emotions. So, the godly soul's feelings of love are invested in the performance of the positive commandments. While its feelings of awe are found in the avoidance of the Torah's prohibitions. So we have 248 positive commandments, and we have 365 negative commandments. The positive commandments are expressed through our feelings of love and the negative commandments are expressed through our feelings of awe. Two separate emotions for two separate purposes. So for an action to be real, for an action to be complete, it must be motivated and powered by feelings of love. Actions that are free of feeling are empty shells. I'm going to say that again. I want you to think about that. Actions that are free of feeling are empty external shells. They're not real actions. If you're doing it robotically, it's not an action. We don't call that an action. You may have done it, but it's not an action. In order for it to be considered an action, according to Kabbalah, it must be something that you do with feeling. So... In order to understand... I want to focus on this for a moment. In order to understand and and appreciate the crucial importance of feelings in our actions, Kabbalah uses marriage as the classic example, as the classic analogy to talk about actions and feelings. And that, again, we are creating synapses here. We are creating a change in the way we look at at, at emotions, at feelings. We're looking at feelings differently. Whatever you know about feelings may or may not be true. Marriage is going to be our example, but you can apply this to every other relationship in your life. So I'm going to give you four scenarios. Okay? Scenario number one. The husband... Loves his wife, but won't tell her. He's unwilling to express his love in his words. Or you know what? He's unwilling to express his love in his words and his actions. So what happens? He loves her. He really loves her. But he doesn't show it in words or in actions. So she's unhappy. She looks at him and says... If you really love me, then tell me. Don't just rely on signs or or hints. If you love me, tell me that you love me. And since we live in a world of action, we call this world, we haven't gone into this yet, but we call this world the world of action. So since we live in the world of action, and not only emotion, she expects her husband to express his feelings in words and in actions. But he can say, but I feel it in my heart. I really love you in my heart. I'm, sh- I'm telling you, I, I, I'm sure, I promise you, I love you in my heart. Well, if you love me in your heart, express it. You know those people who say they love God in their heart? If you love God in your heart, express it. You can express it through a positive mitzvah or through a negative mitzvah. Through the love of a positive mitzvah, an action, or the awe of a negative mitzvah, of a a non-action. Love in your heart doesn't work if you don't express it. You will get divorced if you love your wife. And you could love her or him as much as you want from today till tomorrow. If you don't express it, it's worthless. Second scenario. The husband loves his wife and expresses it in action, but not the way she wants. He does it in his way. For example, on her 40th birthday, he buys her a very special gift that he loves so much because he loves her so much, he buys her a lawnmower for her 40th birthday. See that reaction I'm getting? For her. It's true because she likes her mom to be alone. Like she, she likes her grass to be good. So yep. he buys it so he can make her happy and do it, right? Right. And she's like, that's my 40th birthday gift, for real? For real? He buys her an amazing set of golf clubs for her 40th birthday because he loves... Tennis. Huh? She prefers tennis. But she prefers tennis. Because then she can golf with him. He's actually offering her... Exactly. To spend more time with him. So the point... Love you. <laughs> <laughs> We're divorcing. <laughs> this is. This is something that he wants. So because he wants it and because he loves it, he assumes that she wants the same thing. You see, it could be so selfish. The actions based on love can be so selfish, so narcissistic, he's like, what do you mean? What do you mean you don't like the set of Talmud that I bought you? I love you so much. I bought you a set of Talmud. But she's not pleased. Because she turns to him and says, When I asked you to express your love and actions, I meant the things I appreciate, not the things you love. I want you to understand the things I love. You see, if you have the emotions of love without the intellect, if it doesn't start with the intellect, then you're going to love your partner the way you love, not the way they love. One of the, it's a classic problem, most, one of the, I would say the most classic problem in a marriage is very often because there's a problem with communication between husbands and wives, they have a difficulty expressing their love, so what they do is they love their spouse the way they want to be loved instead of the way their spouse wants to be loved. Their spouse wants to hear I love you 10 times a day, and they want lots of gifts, and so they just buy their spouse lots of gifts without ever saying I love you, and their spouse is not feeling it. He's like, what do you want? I bought you the world. I have given you everything. Whatever you want, you can have it. She's like, I just want you. I want you to say that you love me. That's it. I want you to appreciate me. That's it. So he loves gifts. So he is expressing his love the way that he wants the love expressed. But if the husband and wife would just start from the place of intellect and then allow that to turn into the emotions, then he's going to love her the way she wants to be loved. And she's going to love him the way he wants to be loved, and everyone will be happy. Now, let's look at our third scenario. Our husband finally understands that he needs to give his wife something that she wants. So he buys her a piece of jewelry. But when he arrives at home, he tosses the gift on the table and says, Honey, here, hope you like it. And she's not happy. And he's like, what do you want from me? I bought you a beautiful necklace. But she wants him to give the gift wholeheartedly. She wants the expression of the gift to be meaningful. She wants it to be a conscious intent. And this, what did he do? He just did it, uh, yeah, no emotion. Here, hope you like it. Happy birthday. And she's like, there was no feeling there. It's like that word tolerance. I hate the word tolerance. Like, I hate you, but I'll tolerate you. She doesn't want the, just a the gift. She wants the gift and the feeling attached to it, so that every time she wears it, she knows that that was a symbol of his love. And if he doesn't express that in the gift giving, then she's not happy. And he's like, what do you want from me? Your expression is love. You, I gave you the gift. Yeah, but you didn't give it to me. You just gave it to me. Like, get away from me, gave it to me. Now the fourth scenario. Now that he's ruled out all of the less successful options, our husband is ready for what we call the best approach. He buys his wife the gift that she wants and presents it to her lovingly, accompanied by warm words of affection. So our first husband, in the first process, the husband loves her but never says anything. The second one, he loves her and shows it by buying things that he likes. In the third one, he buys what she likes but doesn't say anything. So doesn't express the love. So what is, what is necessary here in order to create that love is he needs to do both buy her what she wants, and express that affection for her in his words. Action, thought, speech, and action. The first one is just loving her in thought. That's not good enough. The second one is loving her in action, but it's the wrong action. The third one is loving her in the right action, but the wrong words but you need thought, speech, and action in order to properly express love. In other words, it's like all aligned. Yes. You follow the analogy? Yeah. (laughs) I was about to say, no way. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's uh, a, yeah, he has a dentist's No problem. exactly, I was going to say exactly the same thing, that the three have, be aligned. Yes. A bit like the stars, you know, we say the, light, the stars have to be aligned, well, thought action and speech have to be aligned for love to be properly expressed. That's right. And so the analogy that Kabbalah gives, just to finish off this thought, is always the analogy that leads to God, to our relationship with God and to the, the mitzvot. So this husband and wife analogy applies to our performance of mitzvot. Sometimes we tell God we love him. but God, I love you in my heart. I love you in my heart, but we don't express it in our speech or our action. Other times, we love God, and we express it in our action, but we do what we want to do, not what God wants us to do. Another time, we fulfill what God wants us to do, but we don't have any intention. It's absent-minded. It's like I'm doing you a favor, God. And I can't wait to get over with it. Just, I'm just doing it. Like just, just get it over with already. But when we do the mitzvot, which are from the word saftah, when we do the connections, the mitzvot, with loving feelings, with passion, with care, with focused intention, our entire being is acting in total harmony. When we contemplate God's greatness. This gives birth to feelings of love and awe for God, which result in the learning of Torah, which is thought and speech, and the fulfillment of mitzvot, which is action, and doing it with a passionate love, with a passionate dedication.